We all okay? Yeah, sure? It's quite nice today, wasn't it? It was, um, they say in the Bible that uh, God shows his displeasure with darkness, and it was a bit miserable. Um, when I first got here, I wore this jumper, I wore a gilet, I've got my jeans on. Um, and then as soon as we started, the clouds parted and the sun came out. And then you all left, and the clouds came back. So there you go. Um, if ever you needed a sign that God likes outdoor um, worship at Shiloh, it was right there. Um, okay, so we're going to start off today uh, with a little bit of um, uh, a guided meditation, not really, kind of. I want, I'm, I'm going to take you all on an emotional, imaginary journey. You can close your eyes if you want to. You don't have to. But I want you to picture this. It's Saturday morning. You've spent all week working hard, meeting deadlines, forcing yourself awake through monotonous meetings, and you have finally made it to the weekend. You shuffle downstairs, make a coffee or a pot of tea, stretch out on the sofa, and just as that warm coffee hits your lips, your stomach shoots through the floor. In the dizzy haze of the weekend excitement, you forgot when you were shopping to pick up toilet paper. And despite the mental gymnastics you performed to try and find an alternative solution, you realise that you've got no choice. You are going to the shops on a weekend. Although you live in hope, you know that once you're through those doors, you'll be confronted with an ocean of people, all busy in their own quests for individual essentials. Any hope of making this trip a quick one is quickly disappearing. As soon as you enter the shop, you sidestep a woman with three kids trying to coax them into behaving for the next 40 minutes. You continue just a couple of metres on before a football fan swings his beer-laden trolley around 180 degrees as he remembers he's forgotten the milk he was sent to buy in the first place. <laughs> Dodging your attack, you persevere. Squeezing through the two-part trolleys manned by a couple of elderly women discussing their dislike of the new vicar, you make it to the toilet paper aisle. And you stand, you look, and you realise... You're too late to buy your usual brand. They're sold out. And instead, you're faced with two options. An 18-roll pack of the premium brand or an own brand pack of kitchen roll. <laughs> Making your decision tentatively, you head for the weekend via the counter, credit card in hand, joining a queue. And as the queue begins to shorten, you relax a little. You allow hope to once again enter your heart and you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Just as you start to internally tell yourself off for overreacting to something so trivial, you see the person in front of you produce a wadge of paper. Your stomach once again hits the floor as the recognition of coupons flips a switch in your brain. Jaw clenches. Heartbeat rises, eyes widen, and you begin to think, why do I even bother? I'm sure you've all had bad days. I've had more than a few. Uh, when the smallest thing, the smallest thing can make you just blow up. It can make you want to rip the wallpaper off the walls. But reactional spikes of anger are completely normal. They don't sit well with the preconceived idea of a, of a Christian 
with an ever-smiling, never-denying person who wants to make the world an oakley-doakley place. But they happen to all of us. Because we are flawed, we are imperfect, we are human. The real skill, the difficult, uh, difficult part, is letting go of it. Filled with adrenaline as you leave the shops, you need to be able to shake off that anger of that trip and carry on with your day as if nothing happened. But let's be honest, when you've had a difficult morning, when you feel as though you've been hard done by and that your life is really tough, no matter how trivial the reason, you keep it with you. Keep it with you all day. Maybe longer than that. Maybe a whole week, a whole month, years. We take anger, we push it down, and we keep it on our hearts, and it turns into bitterness. We've um, doing a little series over the past few weeks. We looked at um, Fear to Courage last week. Hope, hope, hopelessness to hopefulness. Chaos to calm, and there was one more, and I can't remember. Anger to peace. Uh, and today we're looking at bitterness and turning that into forgiveness. In Luke, uh, the book of Luke, we learn about Jesus and how he walked through the desert from place to place, teaching people. And Jesus taught in many different ways. But uh, one of the most notable ways he taught in was parables. Those of you who are here this morning um, heard Chrissy tell a, a parable, um, and I'm going to tell a parable to you today. A parable is a story. And the point of the parables, the reason, one of the many reasons Jesus taught in parables is because you remember them. You might not be able to remember Scripture off by heart, pages and pages of Scripture, but you can remember a story. So we're going to look at one in particular today that some of you will be really familiar with. It's a bit old hat to some. It's called the prodigal son. We don't really use that word anymore. But the word prodigal, to me, when I was a kid, I always thought, because maybe it sounds like precious or prestigious, I always thought prodigal was a really good thing. I was like, oh, I'd like to be prodigal. <laughs> I am probably prodigal. Prodigal means wastefully extravagant, which is another fancy way of saying someone who shows off with their money and buys silly things that they don't need. So Jesus tells us this story. There is a relatively wealthy landowner with a few farms, servants, comfortable life, and he has two sons. And one day, the youngest son says to his father, all this that you have will one day be ours. So instead of waiting until you die, why don't you just split it up now so we can enjoy our inheritance with you still alive? And the father thought about this for a while and then decided it was a good idea. It'd be quite nice to see what his sons could do with, uh, with all of his money. So he split up his assets and he gave them to his sons whilst he was still alive. He gave them equally. It was fair. They had the same. In a matter of days, after being given all that money, the youngest son collected up all of his belongings, including his new riches, and made for the hills. He left home. He travelled to a far-off country, money in hand, and started to live prodigally, wastefully. He was spending money left, right and centre buying things he didn't need, giving out money to people to make friends. He may as well have burnt it for all he did with it. He wasted all the money. And ultimately, the money ran out, as it has a habit of doing. The youngest son was left in this far-off land with nothing tangible, nothing 
to hold on to. No savings, no property, no nest egg. And just at this point, just as he was far from home and penniless, a famine hit the land, hit the country he was in. Nothing much was growing. People everywhere, all around him, were struggling to live, to eat. And his new friends that he had gained with all his money, well, they were nowhere to be seen. He was alone with nothing. Nothing to his name. The youngest son had very little choice. He had to work. The only work available to him was feeding uh, the pigs in a farm, work which he would have felt was far beneath him before. But now, what choice did he have? He began to work for the farmer, feeding the pigs, and was given so little in return, he could barely afford to live. He was so hungry that he began to consider eating the slop that he had been feeding the pigs. It had gotten that bad. Luckily, just before he did, just before he did eat it, he had a moment of clarity. He thought to himself, my father has got so many servants who work day in, day out for him. They work just as hard as I'm working here, but they get a much better deal. They get fed, they get a place to stay. If I have to live like this, if I have to do all this work, I might as well do it for my father. At least he would treat me better. So the son was walking back home. He decided that he was going to go back to his father. And it was a long way. And he was practicing his apology. He was going to see his father and he was going to say, I have sinned against you. I've treated you really, really badly. And I've been a pretty rubbish son by all accounts. And I'm not even worthy to be called your son anymore. But please treat me as one of your servants. Let me live here, but let me work for what I'm given. Which is a pretty strong apology. And he's going over this in his head as he's walking, walking home. And that long walk got shorter and shorter and shorter. And just as he approached the edge of his father's land, his dad and him see one another. They lock eyes. And his dad ran straight for him. And the youngest son wasn't sure what to expect. He wasn't sure if he was going to be hugged, if he was going to be thumped, but he was just getting ready with his apology. And his dad grabs him and gives him a great big hug and kisses him. And the son says, Dad, I'm sorry. I've been a terrible son. But his dad ignores him, speaks over him. He orders the servants to go and get the finest robes, to go and get the finest rings and shoes for his son so he can change out of his dirty pig slop clothes. His dad orders then somebody to go and kill one of the uh, calves, one of the cows, um, because they're going to have a big party. That's something worth a lot of money. But the dad said, no, we're going to celebrate this. We're going to celebrate the return. And the youngest son was confused. And he said to his dad, why are you treating me like this? What's going on? Is this a joke? And his dad said, my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and now is found. The man had no anger, no bitterness to his son. He was so happy that he had returned. All his emotions were positive, despite the fact that his son had gone and spent half this man's money on nothing. The dad loved his son. The older brother, this whole time this uh, was going on, the older brother had been out working in the fields, um, working hard for his dad and for himself, as he had been every single day that the brother had been away. As he got closer to his home, it was dark by this point, he could hear music, he could see a few more fires uh, than was normal around the house. 
Um, you could make out people dancing, having a party. And the older brother stopped where he was and he asked one of the servants who was walking by, what's happening over there? And the servant said, your brother's home, he's come back. And your dad's gone to all the trouble to throw him a party. Well, as soon as he found that out, as soon as the older brother found out that the younger brother was being celebrated, he uh, proceeded to firmly and efficiently throw all of his toys out of his pram. Very typical teenage reaction, despite the fact he was actually an adult. He sat on the floor, outside, and refused to go in. He said, I'm not going in. I want to speak to Dad. I'm not going in there with him. So out comes Dad, and Big Brother says, it's not fair. I have been the perfect son. I've never disobeyed you or betrayed your trust. And in return, you've given me nothing. I've never had a party like that before. You've never killed a cow for me. You've never even given me a goat to go and um, have a party with my friends. But when my brother takes half of your money, goes far away and spends it on parties and prostitutes and pale ale and then comes crawling back, you throw this huge party. The brother harbored a lot of resentment, a lot of bitterness to his brother. He was holding on to the anger. And his dad said this, Son, you are always with me. What is mine is yours. But it's important that we celebrated your brother like this because he was dead to us for all we knew when he was in the other country. But now he's home and we know he's alive. Jesus cleverly left this story here. He ended it. We know the older brother was feeling anger, resentment, bitterness towards his brother and towards his dad, but we don't know if he continued to feel this bitterness um, or if he forgave. We know that as Christians, he should let go of his bitterness. Parables are amazing because they have a clear main meaning and then they have lots of little meanings that you can read for them yourselves when you look into them. This parable's main meaning isn't about bitterness. It's about Jesus accepting people who go off and sin, people who deny him but ultimately come back to him because when you come back to Jesus, when you come back to faith, heaven celebrates regardless of your past. But I want to focus on the reactions. That's how we're going to link this to bitterness. On seeing his son, the man had two choices. He could be furious, get really angry at the son, kick him out, refuse to help him. But once that was done, the man was going to be filled with bitterness. Not just towards his son, but towards himself. He would regret what he did. His other option was to celebrate his son, was to um, let his son uh, return, have a big party, and then have the rest of their lives together. He made that second choice to forgive and that night, that man went to bed with a full belly and a full heart, happy in the knowledge that both of his sons were home. He had, made, had he made the first choice, he would have gone to bed sick with worry about his son. The oldest son made that choice. He chose to get angry. He chose to hold on to the bitterness he felt for his brother. The father chose to forgive and was inside with warm fire, music, dancing, a nice barbecue, a splash of wine. And the oldest son was outside, in the cold and in the dark, by his own choosing. He could have forgiven and gone into the warm, but he held himself back. 
He cut his nose off to spite his face. He refused to go into the warm, into the embrace of Jesus, to use this metaphor, and decided to stay out, stay outside in the cold because he didn't want to forgive his brother. Colossians 3 verses 12 and 13 say, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Those spikes of anger we spoke about at the start, they're normal. It's holding on to them, that's the sin. The Bible knows what's best for us because God knows what's best for us. In order to have a happy life, you need to be able to let go. We're going to do a little demonstration of that now, actually. So um, I've got some hidden balloons around. I think Lucy's got some at the back. Uh, Then you've got some. Ellie's got some here. Okay, are you ready for this? I'm going to try really hard. That's the most embarrassing day of my life. Do you know, um, Ellie... For my birthday, Ellie bought me a DNA test with 23 of me. And it's, it's really interesting. I got the results back today, and it tells you all about your genetic makeup. And it genuinely says that I have the, my muscles um, are built like elite athletes. This is what an elite athlete looks like, <laughs> if you wondered. Um, but clearly, maybe they got that wrong. Um, so everyone grab a balloon. We'll just have a moment of madness whilst you all grab a balloon. I will put you in the naughty step. Please do not blow up your balloons. That's part of the, that's literally the whole point in you having them. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Let's get to a bit of order. Otherwise, Mr. Ferryman won't do nice things with you in the future. (laughs) So what I want you to do is imagine that this balloon that you have, this balloon that you have is a... Danny, (laughs) what do they say about anger? Spikes of anger, they're normal. Um, So, what I want you to do is, I want you to hold that balloon in your hand. That balloon is going to be your anger, your bitterness. And I want you to blow it up. Not all the way. Don't make it pop. But do not tie that balloon up. Okay? Do you need more? 
I have more blings. Right, okay. So, this balloon, this balloon is now a representation of your anger. I want you... Okay. Um, I want you to imagine that uh, this is your anger. You're not allowed to tie this up. And imagine I said to you, I want you to take this balloon like that and bring it back next week in seven days exactly as it is. No extra air in it, no less air in it, exactly as it is. You'd be able to do it, but it would be a really tough week. Okay, because you'd constantly, imagine having to try and do your buttons up with this. Imagine trying to get your coat on with this. Imagine how difficult your life would be if you had to carry this around with you. Well, that's just like your bitterness. You're choosing to hold on to it and it's becoming a hindrance in your life. What do we do with hindrances? What do we do with burdens? We give them to God. Now, I want all of you to put your hand in the air and after I count to three, we're going to let these balloons go. Three, two, one, go. Now that, that, that noise that those balloons made, that was a collective sigh. That sound was the sound that God makes when we give all of our problems to him, when we get rid of our bitterness and our anger and we give it to him. There's one more part of this. Go and pick your balloon back up. And if you can't find your balloon, pick a balloon up. I think, I think I might have had like a... Was I in a car crash on the way here and I am in my own personal hell? Is that what this is? Because that's how we'd do it, wouldn't it? It'd make me believe I was still alive. Anyway, um, so without making sounds on the balloons, uh, I want you to now consider the fact that your problem is back to you. You've given it to God and it's back to you. Put your hand up if you truly believe you've definitely got your balloon in your hand. Put your hand up if you'd be willing to put that balloon back in your mouth. <laughs> now, the point is, you can give your problems to God and they can come back and find you, or so you think, but you can't be sure that those are the same problems. So long as you've given your problem to God, they're just a shadow of themselves. They're deflated. They're nothing. They're rubbish. And there's one place for them. And that is the last part of this um, piece of imagery, which is to, A, make you understand the power of God and also to give Kev an easier Monday morning, is that you're going to throw all of these deflated problems in the bin. And when we do that, we're going to realise that actually it's just that easy. It's just that easy to get the bitterness out of you and give it to God and let it go. Um, we're going to pray, uh, and if you guys want to come back up, we're going to pray, um, and I want you to think as we're praying about 
um, about your, your bitterness, your anger, your problems that you want to let go of. Uh, the enabling team are going to be over here for those who want to, um, want to be prayed for, want help. But also, not just about bitterness. I don't want um, you to think that that's all they're there for. They're there just if you want prayer for anything today. So if God is speaking to you in some way and you'd like some um, guidance, please come down to the enabling team. Um, otherwise, stand if you're able, please, and let's pray.